Welcome to the Afropolitan Podcast, hosted by Eche Emole, founder of Afropolitan. On the show, we chat with Afropolitans whose footprints form the foundation of systems dedicated to building the future of a bold and progressive Black community. In each episode, our guests share their working formulas, the hard facts about leaving familiar terrain, embracing the unknown, and staying relevant afterwards. Listen as we extract the blueprints of fearlessness, innovation, and progress. Hey, Afropolitans. In today's episode, we chat with E.B. Kuki, co-founder of Fitted, a fashion tech company revolutionizing scalable custom fashion. E.B. talks to us about entrepreneurship, Fitted, and transitioning from investment banking to tech. We hope you enjoy this episode. E.B., welcome to the Afropolitan Podcast, my bro. How you doing, man? Good. Thank you. Bro, you're one of my favorite founders. <laughs> I love the energy that you bring. I love the fact that you see the world the same way I see the world. But I wanted fellow Afropolitans to get the perspective that you have and also learn about the journey of Fitted, right? But before we get started, let's talk about your background, right? Yeah. How did you first get started in the entrepreneurial space? I know you have an investment banking background. How did you transition from that to tech? Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. The first transition was actually into banking. Because uh, I actually was trying to do industrial design and art. That was the first love. So I actually, uni and college, I tried to go to, and I wanted to, I wasn't able to. So I applied and got into, out of the top 10 design colleges, I got into nine of them. Okay. Yeah. And so... That was my first love. I couldn't do that. I was really traumatized. Wait, why couldn't you do it again? Just visa. visa issues from Nigeria because Nigeria. you had to go from Ghana. From, from Ghana. Ghana. Okay. Yeah. So, but you so, were trying to go to any schools where maybe in the UK. They were all the US. Okay. They were all US schools because yeah. the US schools were like those behemoth of yeah. design. Yeah. So that didn't bang. So then I did clearing. Which mm-hmm. uh, was clearing. Clearing in the UK. Okay. Where they have like a like a short clip that you can get in on so i did that instead and ended up studying business that's how everything changed <laughs> from there like that was that was a whole story yeah so i ended up going down the business route for three years and then i'm um, going into investment banking first while keep, keeping creativity not at the side of the project yeah yeah um and then i started mixing the two over years and years and years. yeah before i knew it trying to start up first uh, which was the daily sketch uh, which was actually an illustration startup, aggregating illustrators into telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't work out very well. <laughs> but that, um, I did that in between my investment bank, where the arts kind of blended with the corporate side. And then I found myself in private equity after that, which was a fantastic combination of trying to be an entrepreneur yeah. and having some steady ground. Yeah. The startup went bust. I was like, okay, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. So I ended up um, in investment banking and uh, private equity. So that's the story of We were talking earlier about what you love about private equity, right? Can you share with our listeners from your perspective what insights equity allow you to have, especially when it came to companies and company building too? Um, I think one of the best things private equity helped me do was just to understand going from 50,000 feet all the way at the top, all the way down into like a couple centimeters. It was the level of granularity and understanding corporates from you know, the strategy doc that sounds nice all the way into 
you know, what does that mean in a task for today? Yeah. So I had to um, work with some of the best and brightest in Nigeria. So yeah. I was lucky. I, I was 20, 26, 27, sitting yeah. on the board of Union Bank. Wow. You know, rubbing shoulders with the guys in Global Accelerate. Yeah. Like, and these are like, you know, all of these places have youngish EGs. They have like relatively aggressive, you know, people in our sort of age brackets who are trying to push things. And yeah. Global Accelerate, that team was a very, very, very instrumental in my influence. You know? So working with these entrepreneurs and seeing how they go from the minutia all the way into the top was, um, yeah, it was very inspiring. It made such a big difference in my understanding of business. Let's transition to Fitted, right? Yeah. Explain to our users what the value proposition is for Fitted and how you guys started with Fitted. The fascinating thing about Fitted is that I can't actually distinguish it from my private equity experience. Okay. Because um, it's when they cocked up my sister's wedding. Uh, I started to really reason this thing that come, bro. Come, come, come. <laughs> Why is this no, such no, a no, problem? This thing can't be this. It can't be rocket science. What I was wrong, I was wrong is that it is rocket science yeah. to, to try and get this thing done here. And just for context, yeah. what happened at your sister's wedding? So it was like, call it 500 people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the tailor had two and a half months. outfits. Tell me why. On the Wednesday, which is the day before, yeah. at, you know, 9 p.m., this guy's telling us about the Triple triple bang of malaria, typhoid, and you know, oh my days. you know, he's, he's, he's somebody in the family. All the weapons fashion, all basically. the weapons fashion against him. Um, and effectively, about 65 people, yeah, uh, had the same issue uh, out of that 500 guests. And I was just thinking about it, I was like, mathematically, this thing doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, you and know, this is for them getting the outfits for the wedding, for the wedding, yeah. So, you know, this just started to trickle into my brain. Of, this is a very unreliable service industry. Yeah. Um, and the, the level of stress, you know, it's my sister, like, this is my... This is a pain point this is for a, a lot pain of people, point too. for a lot of people, yeah. too, you know. So I'm thinking, I can't be the only one with this sentiment. So I started doing some research, yeah. and I, uh, I found out a lot. Mm. Um, and that sort of, yeah, bred the whole, uh, you know. So, so just to be clear, what does Fitted solve? The Fitted platform is basically an end-to-end platform for custom clothing. Okay. Um, multiple users have different sides of the platform that they use. But tailors, they're using it to get customers' measurements. They're using it to store them and process them, manage orders, uh, and things like that. For customers, it's an absolute pain when your tailor just can't get uh, an outfit right to you on time. It could be measurement issues. It could be product issues, whatever it could be. There's typically a challenge around just collaborating with a tailor to get an outfit for you. Either it's very simple because your tailor is literally within 12 kilometers mm-hmm. of your person, so you can always go there and be like, bros, how far? You know? <laughs> and are, most of the orders that you know, go yeah. well in this country, there's a proximity where people can just be like, bros, come yes, now, where my stuff? Yeah. You know? And you can go and sit in this office and refuse to leave. Yeah. In most cases, they'll actually do your work. Yeah. Um, for those of us who are not always there, yeah. you, know, you, you don't have that proximity. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a gap in trust where you're not able to actually ensure this fulfillment of your of your product. It's almost like I don't want to simplify it, but it's almost like the Uber for you know clothing. And what, what I mean by that is, you know how you can see mm. when you order your Uber, you can see the Uber car yeah. coming right? right from stop to stop to stop. Yeah. There's no insight into your 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 custom clothing. I don't know. Is it ready? Is it not ready? Did you reach? Did you reach roadblock? Did you hit traffic? Yeah. Like you don't know, and you only find out at the end, at the right? Point, and by yeah. that time, like you said, in your sister's case, two and a half months have passed. Yeah, 
value has been aggregated or super destroyed. Or super destroyed, <laughs> and you have and it, everyone's it. upset, right? Exactly. And so it's it's basically allowing for a bit more transparency into the into the system, but it also solves problems from the tailor's side yeah. as well as the consumer side, yeah. right? Um, talk to me because last time we talked about um, the international standardized measurements, right? Yeah. Whether it's US or UK, yeah. how do you plan to also using the data that you get from Fitted yeah. solve for that at scale? Yeah, I think um, that's actually one of the most exciting parts of the business. I think that a lot of brands who have forayed into this market have had themselves burned quite heavily because, you know, I'll give you an example of Zara in South Africa, a yeah. conference that I was at. Um, you know, it actually turned out that Zara had to um, almost like completely Africa because they had such a high percentage of returns. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you cannot literally, you know, Without data, it's very difficult to predict the, the yeah. measurement calibration for yeah. the people. Um, because we have a Taylor's app that lets Taylor store customers' measurements, we are building what is arguably the biggest single data source of measurement information on Africans yeah. on Earth. Wow. Um, and that's exciting because it means that there's a fundamental redefinition of ourselves that we can do, which is actually the deepest core of why I believe yeah. I wake up in the morning to do this, which is, you know, I'd like to get up one day and for you know, people around me or my kids to say it's my African size and it's not my UK slash US size. Yes, yeah. a really important concept. And yeah. The more we build products to collect, the more we realize, come on, even the definition of ourselves and sizing is still very much. And I've told you so yeah. many times that is yeah. one of the reasons why, you know, conceptually, I like Afropolitan awesome, yeah. so much yeah. because yeah. I feel like there's a certain base level of rewrites yes. that is required if you do enough fundamental work. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like Fitted gets there with the measurements. Um, because going from here, you know, what's to stop, <clears throat> I don't know, multiple brands on, on earth trying to come here and understanding that there's, you know, an, a size that works for Ghana, yes. Nigeria, yes. you know. I don't know what the national lines would be, yeah. East Africa, yeah. East Africa, but yeah. there would be some kind of parameter to, you know, overcome our coding challenge. Because the data is there now. Because the data is there now. And it has yeah. been collected and also optimized and can be used because now people can make informed decisions. Yeah, 100%. People can make informed decisions. And not just that, everybody can get more empowered in the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, ladies complain about it all the time you know, like the number of fittings they have to do, etc. Not that some of it is not inherently due to very highly variable shape and size. Yeah. That, that's also true. But I think part of it is actually just um, fundamental lack of basic infrastructure, base patterns, you know, that describe our bodies in the way that suits us best without having to know that you're a size 8 top and a size 10 bottom. What does that mean when you walking around with your definition <laughs> of self as a woman? Yeah. Where you're like, my top is 8 and my bottom is 10. Yeah. No, I think you are all one something. <laughs> and we just haven't called the what yeah. it is. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Let's talk about the value chain, right? The five value chain. I think even yesterday you mentioned all the way down to like the wholesale yeah. guy who orders a textile yeah. from, you know, maybe somewhere like India yeah. or Bangladesh or wherever, how does Fitted also play in that particular supply chain ecosystem? Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite parts to talk about um, because, yeah, I think this is where if you get it, you get it, and if you don't, it's hard to. For the custom clothing market, typically, you know, um, fabric is a separate point, yeah. right? So you have what you pay your tailor. He might charge you in, in inclusive of a fabric price. But he's going to go and buy fabric somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, he'll tell you, hey, give me 50000 uh, Naira, 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 just for our listeners, <laughs> not dollars. 
yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you give him like fifty thousand, and then yeah. tell him, he'll say, "I'll spend twenty-five on on fabric, and I'll spend twenty-five on on uh, labor, on labor, and stuff like that." Those are the parts. Those are the value chain users. And interestingly, on something like Abada, um, if you were to wear an Abada, you know, sometimes to a large degree of the time, the embroidery is not actually made by the same tailor. That's actually passed on to someone else in the value yeah. chain. So. Yeah. You are outfits, you think it's just that thing. That guy has like, they're like five guys they touch out. Like, <laughs> guys, before he gets, before he gets to you, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, so like, there's guys on the back, some guys with patterns, yeah. for tailors, and skin, but that's like rare, right? Yeah. So all these people are collaborating and they're all getting value out of it. It's very disorganized, it's yeah. fragmented, and that's why the end product sometimes is so challenging to get right. Yeah. So because we have a portal and service for fabric sellers, you can buy from a fabric seller on the platform. The tailors obviously have their representation on the tailor app. And then there's a customer side, but not just individuals, but like up to 10,000 people in, in the group's platform. You basically have a piece of the pie for everybody. Yeah. So that's why you're finding people are able to collaborate end-to-end. Not completely, because the system isn't completely built. We're still on a product roadmap. But you're having people being able to collaborate on key parts. For example, customer consent measurements. That set of measurements can now be used to um, buy an amount of fabric um, via the platform that kind of thing. So effectively, you're banking multiple sides. If you look at it from every, the tailoring side is as big in monetary value as the fabric side. Yeah. So even if I look at the number of users right now, we're punching about $700,000 worth of transactions yeah. that are happening on the platform a month, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and half of that is the value of the fabric yeah. that they're just shifting. Wow. And we're going to bring that onto the platform for, yeah. for, for payments and stuff. Like Let, that. Let's talk about funding, right? Especially yeah. for not just business, but African startups in general. What have been some of your frustrations or learnings or insights from the fundraising process that you mm. can share? Yeah. I think one of the biggest ones is around understanding. Market understanding. Yeah. Um, I think that some problems are universally gettable. Yeah. Um, and like it's much easier to connect to them. And I think some are a little bit more niche. And I think part of my biggest learning certainly has been one of the things I look forward to is um, being able to also see and support other founders yeah. in trying to get the communication about these kinds of products out okay. and clear. Yeah. Um, because I think. The fintech angle has laid a lot of great base layer work. Mm-hmm. And I think what's great about an enabling base layer of fintech, well, obviously, your first base layer is telecoms. On top of that, you can have like payments of fintech. And yeah. On top of that now comes, you know, e-commerce, social, um, alternative finance, and those kinds of things. What is really exciting for where we are as a, as a continent is that there's a lot of possibility yeah. of what you can do with this payments layer. Yeah. But the culture and the understanding of where we are as a people can lead to solutions that are not as clear. Yeah. And I certainly have found that with Fitted. That's been one of my biggest learnings. I've been taking that pie, that humble <laughs> pie, constantly and daily. Yeah, because yeah, every yeah. time I'm in front of an investor who has, you know, no context on the fact that there's anything other than ready to wear at scale. Yes. You know, yes. it's a big, because they're like, why are you doing this for custom fashion? Aren't you like MT yeah. in the US, <laughs> which is like a niche product that yeah. people like, but they like it because they really like custom wear. Yeah. Not that Sashwe B, if you yeah. like, come yeah. to my events, no represent me. Yeah. Like, if you like, come yeah. to my events and don't yeah. wear my green. Yeah. You see yeah. what I, I'll cook jollof for your party. They don't, they don't get the, um, the cultural importance of a lot of this, these fabrics, and especially like, for example, I'm, I'm wearing track now, right? Mm-hmm. My hack now, I don't know if I even told you this, is 
instead of buying a lot of my clothes in the US, mm-hmm. I wait till I come back to Nigeria and buy maybe like 30 outfits, mm-hmm. custom made, right? And then when I take these outfits back to the US, first question I get, where did you get that where from? Get that How from? do I get it? Do where do I get it from? And I yeah. think my frustration has always been, I know what I had to go through, the little hacks I had to go through to get my outfits, but the person who's probably asking me and saying, Oh, can I just go on Forever Twenty One and just, and check, just out, check, and check out in my same house at one week? And and in Africa, we don't have solutions yet, right? Like fitted, right? Because I remember the first time you talked to me about this, I'm like, this is a solution that I know it's not just uh, African context yeah. emerging markets. You're talking about India, Bangladesh, yeah. Pakistan, and then you you told me at least five percent of your um, users users are, yeah. are from those markets, right? Yeah, Pakistan, yeah. Amazing. And that was shocking to me. Yeah. Because I've never, we've never run one ad. We didn't even have this, we didn't, we thought this was at least six months out. Yeah. The best case scenario. Yeah. So to rock up to the app one day and see that, it's just like, wow, this is really interesting and there's a lot more synergy in this problem set that maybe we even thought there was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is where, you know, it's, it's kind of, the product also has evolved in such an interesting way. So yeah. It's now brought us to if we were going to bring forward the solving of the cross-border payments problem, because yeah. you know we synced all our stuff to, to to the wallet system in Nigeria, yeah. how do you do that so quickly? Yeah, you know that's one yeah. of the interesting things that we're. Right but I think about. that's where also crypto plays a role, right? Because yeah. a lot of it, especially blockchain, a lot of the value that's being created, the world is going borderless, right? Yeah. Now, how does the tailor in India use your app, but then maybe he wants to receive payments from maybe yeah. another? provider here in Nigeria, right? Maybe they use stable points to make experiments or maybe they use crypto because it's long to go and change Naira to maybe the Indian currency. Where would he even find that whole process is convoluted? So how to make it seamless to say, look, all this valuation is happening. Now pay me in a way that's also seamless for me. Right. And I think this is where I can see blockchain really playing a role and crypto and, and maybe potentially even stable coins play a role in terms of the payments. Yeah. Ibi, everyone gets to deal with failure at some point. What would you say was your most significant encounter with failure, and what did it teach you? My most significant encounter with failure. Oh man, the archives are so huge. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to most significant. It'll probably be my last photo. Mm. Um, what happened? I was more fire than I was structure and procedure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was. It's me burnt. It's many burnt memories <laughs> before you learn. Yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very unstructured. I was creative visionary, right? I yeah. Was the, I was also an artist. Yeah. So I was drawing um, these things. I was basically also one of the contributors to the to the illustration platform. Yeah. Um, and so I was very focused on the on the on the artist side of it, not really the business, business side. side of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, chowing that L, we are chowing that L in that startup was <laughs> one of the greatest learning experiences because um, I think it was very much the universe going, like, You think shit is cute, huh? Yeah, it is cute, huh? <laughs> um, and I think it was a wonderful learning experience. Yeah. So, um, needless to say, after that, you know, don't have to show the, like, yeah. you know, the other black Jesus hope <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you know, um, and then that from there, I just you know, decided to be even more rigorous with learning about systems, procedures, and structure. How does the shit actually work? How does the shit actually work? Yeah. Which is how I ended up in private equity. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's important to, to, to know how the game is actually played. Yeah, how the game. 
if there was a book that was supposed to be written about your life, the only thing left in the world was a book about your life. Yeah. What would the title of the book be? Voyager. Voyager. Definitely. Voyager. The, the Voyager or just Voyager? Just. And, and why? Um, because fundamentally, homelessness has been a very critical part of my story. Of your journey. Is, is, that, is, that, is that a metaphor or like physically? Eh, you know, I don't want to scare the users. <laughs> or the people listening, like, you know, so the guy running this thing at home. <laughs> no, but I, I, think, I think it means transient. Transient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born in Nigeria. You know, grew up in Ghana. Yes. Um, uh, my typical Saturday slash Sunday may have been, you know, going to Lume. Mm-hmm. You know, which Togo, is just yeah. Togo, you know, just on the streets, Paro yeah. kind of level. So, yeah. like, it, there was even a point where, like, a good chunk of percentage of my vocabulary was French because yeah. I was moving through this country so yeah. often. This is between the ages of five and yeah. like 14. Those are some of my most formative years. It's yeah. built on transients. Yeah. And it creates such a very interesting frame of mind, which yes. is I would, I would love to, you know, subject subject. My own people I love, or family, or loved ones, or kids, or whatever, to that kind of experience. Yeah. It really transformed your mind. I think it's it, it, It's interesting yeah. because there's a the reason why I've always connected with you is, yeah. and it's funny I didn't even know this part of your history, right? And I'm the same way, right? Traveler or traveler, but there's a confidence that I built, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then when you go, you you really get to see humankind, but like also your people in detail, right? And it's like. Our shared values, our shared our hopes, shared, our shared yeah, dreams. There's now a confidence, shared fears, and there's now a confidence in like, man, like we're out here, like we're the builders, we're the most of the in the arena. Yeah, like you've had to conquer. Yeah. It's not to say that you're not, that you don't even feel fear, yeah. but you lean into it. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I think I, I love that a lot. So I think one of the main questions we ask everyone is, what does being Afropolitan mean to you? Oh wow, that's a heavy question. Hmm. There's a, a lot of ways to go because you were one of the first people to pitch uh, this network that I did to. So, Afropolitan means remembering who we were. Who we were. Love that. Afropolitan means In the last remembering. thousand years. Yeah. None of y'all at scale can tell me what the hell happened to y'all. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Finish. At scale. scale. Yeah. None of y'all can tell me. Yeah. So. For me, what Afropolitan means to me it doesn't mean erasure. It means perspective. Yeah. In a very fundamental national identity is at the yeah. core part of one of my greatest fascinations. Yeah. And it, you know, when I talked about the illustration piece, interesting yeah. how this all comes together it was political illustration. Yeah. Okay. I did cover art for business day. Oh, okay. Um, the okay. Guardian. Yeah. All of like that. Yeah. Those are the clients that we had on the illustration. Yeah. So these guys' political weights came to be like easy, easy, yeah. and that stuff comes comes through. So I think Afropolitan for me is a memory, going back to a memory of you know some things that have probably been trained out of us yeah. for a long time, and um, too big to say, redrafting parts of the world order yeah. to yeah. give a a yeah to give a greater sense of freedom for what it really means to be a black person. Afropolitan means remembering who we were. Right? I love that. I love that. Because you know, it's funny because in our manifesto, we talk about moving from scarcity to abundance. And that we were you always, always that. Were, we were always abundance. We were. But we lost it. We, lost it. we, we don't know what. We don't know why. We, don't we know can hazard a few guesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's that abundance mindset that hopefully allows us to transcend. And I think I was saying to you yesterday, it's not just about generational wealth, it's about generational freedom. So, yeah, 
Ibi man, thank you for stopping by the Afropolitan Podcast. I hope you had a great time. Thank you, man. Appreciate always, you. Always. Thank you for listening to the Afropolitan Podcast. We are building the future of a progressive Black community. To join our community, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Afropolitan. Be sure to join our Discord and Clubhouse community by clicking on the link tree on our Instagram page. See you on social.